the Westlot Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowspel. Well guys, we are extremely thrilled to welcome to the show tonight uh, Ella Brockway. Um, you might know her as the 2009... William R. Reed Award winner, uh, given 19. to the yeah, sorry, 2019. 2019. Yeah, well, you, you you can tell I didn't win that award. So, <laughs> uh, Ella, thanks so much for coming on the show tonight. We really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I'm a longtime listener of the podcast, so excited to hop on it for myself. Yeah, d- definitely appreciate you coming on. Um, l- let's just dive right in. I mean, you've covered the Northwestern football team for a couple years now, and. Uh, you know, there's a lot of excitement going into this season. Um, you know, can, can you give us a sense of what kind of the feeling is like on campus uh, of where this team is right now? Yeah, so I'll actually hop back to around December last year because I think that's, if it makes sense, that's when the excitement for this 2019 season started because I'm going to be a junior at Northwestern. And even though I was only there for two years, I had never seen the excitement around the football program in terms of from the student body perspective, like it was after that big 10 championship game. And I think a lot of times you hear about Northwestern student fandom and you hear that the students aren't that into football and like that student, um, that, I don't know, maybe there's not that much, um, hype around it from the student perspective, but I really think that big 10 championship game and just, having all those students go down to Indianapolis was a huge turning point from that perspective. So I think that is that moment, especially, and the amount of interest that was in the program from the student perspective at that moment in time, totally skyrocketed both expectations and just like general interest in the program for the 2019 season. And I think that was only, um, that's only been hyped up as the stories about Hunter Johnson keep coming out, the stories about, um, the Big Ten West and what a wacky division it might be this year keep coming out. And I think from the student perspective, at least as long as I've been there and from what I've heard from people before, this is the most excitement the Northwestern student body has had in a football season in like quite some time. So it, if I'm kind of reading between the lines, you're sort of you're sort of adding on to what I'd like to believe is true, which is that as we sort of suspect Northwestern alumni control the sports media and (laughs) that they're just baiting the Northwestern fan base with all of these stories. Like I almost feel like it's deliberate that it's like everyone's going out of their way to pick literally any other team other than Northwestern to win the West, which is good. If it's like stoking the fire uh, back, you know, back on campus, that's good. It's funny because I I guess to an extent we're guilty of living in a little bit of a, a bubble where the only Northwestern people we deal with are like rabid Northwestern sports fans. <laughs> um, yeah. It's funny. We had the um, fellow um, New Jersey representative, Emily Harriet on the pod last year. And she's, um, you know, of course, leader of the wild side and, and was as uh-huh. intense of a Northwestern fan as there is, but um, oh, for sure. Yeah. We're going to, you know, with that said, with the fire, you know, on campus, thank goodness, you know, burning brighter than ever. Um, And like you mentioned Hunter Johnson, I think we'll kind of circle to that in a second because we have thoughts, we have curiosities not only about Hunter Johnson, but about what it's like to try to cover that situation. But uh, let's put quarterback aside for one second. Aside from quarterback, is there any position group right now that you particularly are finding incredibly interesting from a positive standpoint or a negative standpoint, or you just, you're fascinated by what's going on within that group? Yeah. So I, I was thinking about this the other day as we're working as at the daily Northwestern, we're working on our preseason coverage. I was trying to think um, the general question of what position group has the most question marks heading into the 2019 season. And I think one of the obvious answers for that is the wide receiver group, just because graduating guy, a guy like uh, Flynn Nagel and then losing a guy like Cam Green, there's so much space that's going to come up with that, um, with that new position group. But it, I don't know. I've been personally fascinated by that just because of the amount of guys who are there, who are able going to be able to step up guys like, uh, um, Karek McGowan, RCB, Berkeley Holman, 
Um, there's just so many names going down that list. Even even younger guys like Bryce Curse. He's gonna he's a um, he's a recruit coming in who actually went to high school with, or I don't know if they were there at the same time, but went to the same high school as Hunter Johnson. An interesting story. And um, I know you guys have talked about him a little, but Genson Hooper Price. He's a really like highly touted recruit who enrolled early and. Um, I just think that position group specifically is going to be fascinating to watch um, and see. And then um, I'm trying to think what else. Well, let, let me jump in yeah. on, on that wide receiver. Go for bit. It. Yeah. Um, this is validating for me because that was my, my answer when we, when we kind of uh, fleshed out our burning questions for the year, just cause I don't know what it's going to look like. And, and to your point, there's, there's all those names Um the the rabid northwestern message board people that that yep. live in that dark cave are are very very <laughs> focused on Genson Hooper Price right now. Um, mm-hmm. I think Kurtz, you know, to your point, is very interesting. But there's so many guys with experience that that played last year, and I like the ones the, the ones that jumped out to me, JJ Jefferson and Kyrick McGowan, adding an element yep. that this offense hasn't seen in years. But y- y- you mentioned. What's probably one of the larger concerns is, is, you know, with the retirement of Cam Green and what appears to be, you know, a, a bevy of defensive players rotating over into the superback position. That just feels like it's been a position of strength, a, a critical component of the way Northwestern schemes on offense. Like, what is the two deep looking like there? And like, is is there a two deep? Do do we have like how is superback shaping up right now? I think my immediate thought um, regarding that super back position. So obviously I think the first replacement on all the predicted two deeps that I've seen is Trey Pugh. Um, Mm -hmm. He did miss the entire spring practice with an injury. So it's hard to know exactly what we'll see there, but I honestly wouldn't be like, I'm really interested to see what Mick McCall does with this offense Um, with a new quarterback coming in for the first time in four years, we knew what the super back position looked like when Clayton Thorson was leading the Northwestern offense, but I'm interested to see if there will be any changes to the offensive scheme as to how much a super back is going to matter in this offense. Um, I'm just, I'm curious if we'll see some restructuring in the offensive scheme when there's not an immediate guy um, like a Cam Green or like previous superbacks who um, like Garrett Dickerson who I interviewed the other day at Giants training camp if if there's not a person immediate like immediately like that that we can go to and think of I'm interested to see what Mick McCall will do with this offense especially with a guy like Hunter Johnson coming in I'm curious if you think it would if it's likely to trend more toward like a four wide like forward more traditional wide receivers or if we would you know, that what would have been a super back involved in both passing and, and blocking would just become more of a sixth blocker or, or like a, almost like a fullback kind of like Dan Vitale style. Yeah. I think that depends on who we see step into that super back position. Um, if it's a guy like Trey Pugh, he has the size to be kind of that inside blocker um, who I think McCall might be looking to replace, but if we see, um, or if, I don't know if exactly Trent. I think Trent Goins moved to the superback position. Is that mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. Goins and um, Tommy so, Carnifax, I think. Well, yeah to, yeah. to the extent that we really know, and we're going to circle yeah. back to that <laughs> exactly. in a second too. Yeah. So I think if we see, I think that guys like Go, like bigger guys like Goins, Carnifax, and Pew could serve more as those six blockers kind of guys that you were mentioning. I know who's another guy, Charlie Manginari. I think his name is. Um, he played a little or he got some action during his freshman season, but he reminded me more of what we would think of as like a fourth receiver. But so I think if Pew separates himself and wins the super back job in the traditional sense that we're thinking of, like he comes across to me as more of like a blocker than a fourth wide. So I guess that's my takeaway. Interesting. Um, what do you see as the uh, running back rotation? I mean, obviously Bowser stepped in uh, last season when, um, you know, all, all the injuries happened, but is he, is he ready to be a, a full-time back the entire season? Yeah, that's another position group that I'm really, really fascinated in because I was looking at some numbers today. So Bowser took 197 attempts last season. and was averaging around three and a half yards a carry, which wasn't anything outstanding, but for 
what he was doing. He only really stepped into the starting running back role um, in October at the Rutgers game. But if you look at the, where the rest of the rushing attempts were coming to, so he got 72 attempts from Jeremy Larkin, 22 from Chad Hanoka, 44 from Solomon Vault, 78 from Thorson. That's like around 216 right there. So that's close to what Bowser was getting on his own. And those are all guys that won't be coming back. So I think Bowser is going to be expected to get a lot more reps next season and or this coming season but we never really saw him in that situation last year so I think it's going to be interesting to see what the depth behind Bowser looks like John Moten the fourth had those two big breakout runs the first against Illinois and then the second the 70 plus yard run in the Big Ten championship game that stands out but um so I think he's the obvious thought to go in when um when Bowser needs that rest but that's another position group where we haven't really seen um, or where there are question marks about the depth that's going to be behind a guy like Bowser. And especially with a, a quarterback change for the first time in four seasons. Um, and from what we know, Hunter Johnson is allegedly more mobile and quicker than Thorson was. Um, and with a, a younger offensive line, I think that position group and what is done with the running backs is going to be really interesting too. So we've we've kind of danced around this for a little bit, but but since you just kind of alluded to it again, like the key word being like what we know about Hunter Johnson and <laughs> the myth, we, the legend. <laughs> yeah, there's so it's it's not just this. It's like we mentioned it with Trey Pugh and it's like, so where is Trey Pugh to what extent? You, I'm sure, were right in the thick of this last year during the whole run up to the whole like what is the deal with Clayton Thorson right now? Um, mm -hmm. What is it like recruiting? Well, so like, first of all, like what is it a like being close to the program during this whole Hunter Johnson, Trent green KGB thing that's going on. And then just in a larger sense though, like what is it like reporting on a program that is this clandestine about every aspect of what goes on with the team yeah so I'll go off your first question I remember um in the spring uh so I've been covering this program for two years now um but the spring we were like you mentioned we were getting a lot of this same um the same dialogue about who was going to be the starter um against Purdue last year we were getting the same um it's Fitz was saying the same kind of you know you'll know as soon as like we kick off and stuff like that, like that kind of same dialogue. So I don't remember exactly how we handled it last year, but I, um, in terms of this year, um, trying to think of the best way to answer this question. <laughs> um, I don't know. It's, it's tricky, but I'm the, when I, I interviewed Mick McCall in the spring at the end of spring practice, and I think the message they reiterate both McCall reiterates and Fitz reiterates and even the players when you talk to to Green and Johnson is that they've done this before like Fitz makes it perfectly clear that this is not the first quarterback change or the first um like quarterback decision between two guys that he and uh he and Mick McCall have gone through and I think at this point you can if I think if you're looking from an outside non-Northwestern perspective you can look at this and say wow this is this huge quarterback battle and this is weird that they're keeping all this stuff so close and inside, but from what I've experienced and from the other people I've talked to who've covered Northwestern um, as they've undergone these quarterback changes and these quarterback battles, it just seems like this is what the program does. And um, this is how they like to keep quiet about things. If that makes any sense. Um, I don't know if I answered that too well, but no, I think that makes a lot of sense. And what's, what's ironic about what you just said is I think again, the, the, the dark tunnels of, of the message boards and North and, you know, the Northwestern alumni that are really um, super nutso about the program and, and ourselves included, right? Like the fan base is having collective apoplexy about, about what this means. I mean, they are, they are digesting every word and saying, well, is it, is it, Every time Teddy Greenstein reports like, yep, it's a real battle. It's a real camp battle. Everyone is tearing yeah. their hair out. And what's what's funny to me about it is that I think we've all gotten comfortable with Fitz's gamemanship over 
you know, his tenure as, as coach and he's so much more comfortable in his skin now and, and, and willing to play that game. And it, and it comes off a little less like antagonistic with the media than it did in maybe say like 2008, 2009. But Mm -hmm. outside of that, like it's, it's totally expected. And it's interesting to hear you frame it in the way you just did that this is just how they operate. And it's no different from when, you know, Persa graduated or, Trevor graduated. Um, and that, I don't know, I'll be honest, it gives me a little bit of comfort because I was, I think I was starting to, to buy into some of the, to some of the, the, the hair raising mania a little bit, but mm-hmm. I guess the other thing I come back to, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm curious if you have any perspective, you know, whether from, from yourself or, or other members of the daily staff that, that have actually watched Johnson in practice and anything that you'd be able to share on, on the, quote unquote, how he has looked front. But at the same time, like, I can't say that I'm super excited. Like we don't, we don't need him to be Trevor Lawrence at Clemson for Northwestern. We just need him to be Clayton Thorson at like, well, let me, let me rephrase. We just need him to not be freshman year Clayton Thorson and be something closer to the other years of Clayton Thorson. Yeah. So I'll start off with, um, so there's not much that we know um, I don't think we've watched or I obviously haven't been out in Evanston or in Kenosha last week to physically watch practice. But from what I've known of the daily reporters, there hasn't been um, too much that they can physically report on from practice as to what they've seen. But I will say one of the things I know there was a story that came out on Yahoo today. Today's Tuesday that was kind of going through this battle, this quarterback battle. And then obviously you mentioned the column that or the story that uh, Teddy Greenstein wrote for the mm-hmm. trend the other day. Um, so one of the things I think that has really um, been the most common thread that I personally have seen through all the reporting that's happened on this quarterback battle has been the um, the quote unquote knowing the playbook reasoning. Um, it's really been emphasized that um, TJ Green is a, like a system guy. He knows this system really well, um, and that's one thing that he's really bringing to the table. And then it's also um, been emphasized that you know hunter johnson there was a story um a few weeks ago from wildcat report that he meant uh that hunter johnson learned six different offenses through high school and mm-hmm. um he spent all uh last season learning all these different systems so that's the most common thread that to reporting on how this um how this battle is going i don't i can't offer any um any insight on how the actual things on the field are going um and then as to the second part of your question, I completely agree. I think it's unreal. Like there's so much that's been said about Hunter Johnson at this point, you know, the five-star rating, the game when he went five for five at Clemson, the story about the sub four, six forty, like all these stories that um, at this point we've heard so much about Hunter Johnson and now we just want to see him play. But at the same time, um, I think the realistic expectations for him are not to be Trevor Lawrence at Clemson. It's to, probably match or beat Thorson's numbers. And um, that's the most realistic Northwestern fans can be right now. And it's just a matter of, um, you know, seeing how the rest of this quote unquote battle goes and then seeing what comes against Stanford, I guess. You you say quote unquote battle. And that kind of leads me to my, the theory that I've been just sort of operating with is that like the battle is over. I, I believe that, the players know who's starting like right now, two weeks before kickoff, like it's decided. And this is just Fitz being cagey. Like there's no way that they're not going into the week of uh, game prep, not knowing who the number one quarterback is. He Fitz wants to play it under the vest. That's fine. But I believe, and that's just my theory that a decision has been made and the players know it pretty much every other team with a QB battle has announced their Plus, starter yeah. in the last yeah. couple of days. That's what I was saying. We were, we were all kind of grousing and grumbling because of course, like Justin Fields and Jalen yeah. Hurts were announced starters within like hours of each other a couple of days yeah, exactly. ago. And we were like, and we were like, the silence is just deafening <laughs> from. I know. And, um, I feel like I keep seeing the, all these different teams across college football throw up these nice little graphics of QB one coming up. Um, or even like I think Oklahoma came out with their QB two graphics today, and I was just thinking about how Northwestern will never get one of those, one of those QB <laughs> announcements. But I will say I know that um, one of our other daily reporters was out in Kenosha this week, and 
he talked to Mick McCall and he and McCall the only insight he gave onto the competition was, or, and when the decision comes for that was that he said it's either um, in the past when he and Fitz have gone through these uh, these quarterback competitions in the preseason that decision has either come really early or really really late and that kind of eluded me I, I, I agree with you that I think the decision has probably already been made but it was and this may be just what they're telling the media at this point um, but that was just interesting to note and I think I'm going to pull up the story. Yeah, he uh, he talked to Riley Lees, too, and Riley Lees told him uh, that he expected to know who was starting during kickoff week one and then emphasized, seriously, kickoff week one. So that's what they're, that's the message they're putting out to the media. Not yeah, fits. right, exactly. So it's like whether they're – like whether Sam's right or not, even if, if, Sam's, if Sam's wrong, Sam's wrong, and if Sam's right, we'll never know because these mm-hmm. guys will never tell us. Exactly. <laughs> um, it's it's funny. The I mean the the other thing that of course dances around this too is um, the decision. I mean the decision's been made early. The decision's been made late, and the decision's also been made not at all in the past yep. because we were all here through the Trevor Simeon Kane Coulter era, and uh, some sometimes a hard decision doesn't arrive. But I I would imagine that in this case um, it has. Uh, I think the other thing you, you made a great point too about, um, and then Scuzz echoed it: the consistency within the program, right? With which is, we do know how the the program operates, and we might, in some ways, want it to be, like I said, with Justin Fields, Jalen Hurts, and Hunter Johnson all being announced within hours of each other on the same day. But the program doesn't operate like that. But to your point, it's never operated like that, mm-hmm. or at least under the Fitz era. And there's that consistency. And I think you know, to another point, part of the consistency too. Um, there's always been, and this, you know, it is a special thing about Northwestern to do right by the players. And Sam and I were at the big 10 luncheon and Fitz, you know, was doing backflips to heap kudos onto TJ green. And the, I think just, there's the idea that we're going to do like, we're going to do right by this guy. He's the incumbent. And if he's not, if it's not going to be him, we're still going to shower him with so many kudos because like he's earned it and he's waited. Um, and there's just, there's that consistency of, you know, of doing right by the players, which is kind of nice. Um, mm-hmm. In a little bit of a pivot, I was kind of curious to know um, on offense or on defense, which we haven't really talked about yet. Um, if there's a particular player. So, I mean, obviously Hunter Johnson TJ Green, number one with a bullet in terms of talking points, what people are talking about. Of course, you know, Isaiah Bowser, big talking point, et cetera. I just wonder if there's, based on, you know, the time you've been covering the program or just what you're personally interested in, if there's a particular player who is going to be moving into a more prominent role who you're just really excited about and you're really interested about, then maybe is someone who's not a central talking point, you know, outside of the program right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll give two answers. I'll give one offense and one defense. But um, one of the things I wanted to mention before, when you talked about position groups that were intriguing, I think it's hard not to say offensive line because a all the question marks that come with that position groups, and b because I'm totally on the Kurt Anderson train ever oh since God. we he were... came in. Yes, yes. So he is a great interview. I've talked to him two times, two or three times in the spring, and he's a great interview and he's just a really fun guy to be in this program. So I think that excites me about the offensive line, even though there are so many questions about graduating three starters and stuff like that. But so piggybacking off of that, I was going to mention Jared Thomas. I think he's gotten a lot of uh, positive press inside the program this summer. I think um, you wouldn't be surprised to see him as one of the captains when they're announced on Friday. That's just, I have no insight on that, just a personal prediction. But I think he brings really good veteran experience at the center position, and that's a group. Even, the only other returning starter on that line is Rashawn Slater, and he's going to be a junior, so he's still um, uh, uh, going to bring that experience, but still pretty young. And I think Jared Thomas hasn't gotten um, – he's not as prolific as, a, um, as an offensive lineman as a guy like Slater is, but – I think he's gotten I've been pleasantly surprised by the amount of like good things I've heard about him this summer. So I think he'll be really fun to watch. 
Um, and then defensively, the obvious answer for the big name, um, you mentioned all the big names we talked about on offense, but the big name on defense is obviously Patty Fisher. Um, but I think sometimes in the conversation about linebackers, you forget how great of a season Blake Gallagher had last year. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Um, and so I don't really have much about that concern, um, or I don't have that much concern about how that group's going to do, but I am excited to see, um, to see Gallagher really have a statement season this year. And I think, um, he's going to get a lot of that attention that Patty Fisher was starting to get when he was this age, um, especially with Nate Hall graduated. And, um, I just think he's going to be a really interesting player to watch too. Can I can I nerd out on the O line piece for for a split second? <laughs> Go for it. Because you you beat Scuzz. Scuzz was gonna tee that Kurt Anderson question up for you, so he's <laughs> he's got to run it back. We're we're all so excited. Yeah. I'm so excited for Kurt Anderson, and it's 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 not the wrestling stuff. It's not it it it's not necessarily his personality. It's all the things that I'm just hearing and reading between the lines. Um as people are talking leading up to the, uh, leading up to the season. And I, I'll, the, the thing that has gotten me most excited was actually hearing Jared Thomas on um, the whistles podcast that uh, Jeremy Larkin yep. and, um, uh, and he have been doing along with, uh, with Jake Saunders and Thomas, yeah, you get, and, and maybe I'm projecting here cause I'm very, very excited about, um, about this change at, 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 at O-line coach. But you could almost hear Thomas hesitate in the moment as he started to talk about the types of things that Anderson had been doing at the O-line, the types of drills that they were doing, the type of the approach, the attitude. You could almost hear him hesitate and and wonder, how much of this should I divulge? And it it, it feels like a secret weapon. And, it, and it's, and it's kind of crazy that it's a coach we're talking about, not a player, right? But yeah. it does, does feel like he's brought something to the equation. And I, I, I want – the. I'm going to be careful how I phrase this because I don't I don't want it to I don't want it to sound mean, but I'm I'm curious if you could contrast like Anderson's personality and role within the team relative to Adam Cushing, and really where that comes from is is and and, and I think some of it is about where Adam Cushing has gone. Like I think he's always been a a potential head coach in training, whereas Anderson just seems like an O line junkie. Is that a, is that a fair estimation of kind of how the how the two differ from one another? Yeah, I think that's pretty much spot on from what I know. Um, from what I remember, I'm pulling up to make sure I'm correct. Yeah, so Cushing was here. Cushing had been here a, quite a long time. 2004, he started here, um, and or started at Northwestern, and then he was here until 2018. I think Fitz, maybe it was in the Northwestern media day um, general comparison, but Cushing's a, a, a U Chicago guy, very relaxed, like very in the mold of what you would think of a head coach to be. And then you meet, um, and that's nothing against Cushing. I think he was, no, he was no. a good coach and he was, um, I always enjoyed interviewing and talking to him, but Anderson just brings this whole different, um, I don't know if attitude, I, I guess attitude is the right word. Um, this whole different persona to a position that has been so up and down in the past, um, the past few years that I think especially entering another year where there are still going to be question marks and there is going to have to be, um, a lot of new guys coming into roles there. I think having him has just brought a lot of life into that position group, if that makes sense at all. Um, and again, nothing against Cushing, but, um, I, I think Anderson coming in was really big for the program and, one of the best moves that's made recently. So, and I think you've seen that in just, um, you've seen that in the enthusiasm and all the little, like, uh, little video clips that they put on social media. And then you've seen that in, like, on the recruiting trail, like all the O line recruits that Northwestern has picked up in the past month or so, or the past, like, three months or so. Um, yep. Like, I think you've just seen that change immediately. I'm curious if last year, because he was a he was a quality control coach last or quality control analyst last year, if um, if his involvement was obvious, like during practices or, or during the course of the season, or 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 if he was really you know kind of 
sequestered um, from from view. Yeah, no, I'm going to be completely honest with you. When when the news came in that he was becoming a coach, we had to pull out the media guide and like find his name because I had just not I I don't know the majority of the quality control analysts that are out there every week just because there are so many guys on the sideline to try and look for. So I had no idea who he really was until um, until he was announced as the offensive line coach. But from what we heard from Pat Fitzgerald, from what we heard from the players on the O-line after that coaching change was made, it sounds like um, his presence during that 2018 season was um, enough for the players to really become close with him and enough to to bring kind of that um, that exciting personality into a Northwestern staff that's been pretty consistent for a while um, or consistent in terms of no one leaves, if that makes sense. But that's about all I know. My level of fired upness has just gone up about three notches. <laughs> yeah, so everybody knows. Yeah, where it's good to know there are other members of the Kurt Anderson fan club. Um, it's funny, you talk about that he's such a great interview. I'm just curious, you mentioned Thomas. Of the guys that are, you know, in line to be the names on the program this year, or guys who aren't in line to be quote-unquote names, any particular guys stand out as as you just enjoy talking to these guys and, and you find them to be great interviews? I'm trying to think. Now I'm flashing back to, to spring, so give me a minute to think of. I, I always enjoy talking to Patty Fisher. He's always been a fun interview, and especially when you can get him talking about um, the connection he has with a guy like Travis Willock, who he went to high school with. I think they're related. I don't want to. Yeah. But um, a guy like that is usually fun. Joe Gaziano is a great interview. He's been a great interview since I started talking to him freshman year. Um, and he's another guy who's going to have a huge season, be one of the faces of this program, especially on the, on the defensive end. Um, who else is a good one? <laughs> I did. Here's another one who's kind of random, but um, I wrote a story last year on kind of midway through the season when Northwestern was battling a bunch of injuries. I wrote a story on a bunch of walk-on turned um, a, a bunch of walk-ons turned guys who had to step up in the middle of the season. So um, immediately thinking of like Drew Lockenball, the guy who hit that uh, hit the game-winning kick against Nebraska in October, and but one of the guys I interviewed for that piece was Chris Bergen, and he was a really good interview. He had some really great stories about um, being a walk-on inside the Northwestern program and then getting thrown into a position where he was a starting linebacker on a Big Ten team, which is totally something he never thought would have happened. And I think, especially as he probably fills in that third linebacker spot, he's going to be another good one to talk to this year. So those are just immediately off the top of my head ones that are players who I really enjoyed talking to. That is really interesting about Bergen just because, again, like he's – you mentioned it earlier. Not only is is he, you know, being put in a situation he wasn't expecting, I can't imagine a better possible situation for a yeah. linebacker to be going in. All, all he has to do, 50 tackles ought to be enough. I can't – like the, the machine – uh, that is to, you know, the two guys next to him are, are just, you know, they're, they'll be good for two to 250 tackles. Yeah. So that, no, that is exactly. really cool. Um, Gaziano seems like someone also who, he, I don't know. I, I, I don't, I'm not surprised by that. He seems like someone who would be, uh, a very fun interview, but go ahead, Sammy. Sorry. I cut in front of you. Oh yeah. No, um, so I was wondering, you know, as we've been previewing, you know, all the teams on the Northwestern schedule, are there any games that uh, you're kind of circling uh, as sort of red letter games? Maybe not necessarily the, the obvious Ohio State on the Friday night, but I, I know as, as we're going through the schedule, we're all terrified of the UNLV game. I was literally just about to give that as my first answer. That one scares. Uh, that one's one I'll definitely circle on the calendar just because it has all the makings of one of those Akron, Illinois State games it just week two before all the big 10 games start um so that was the answer i was gonna say but um i'll give a if you want to speak on the unlv game i'll give another answer about sure. that but i'll let you go first no go ahead um yeah so you 
UNLV aside, I think the season pro like when I look at the Northwestern schedule, I would say the season probably comes down to that Wisconsin, Nebraska back back stretch, like those two weeks. Uh week four and week five, both on the road. If you if I were to pinpoint something and say, okay, that's where the season comes down to. If Northwestern wins both of those, I have a lot more faith in looking at the post Ohio State stretch of that schedule. Um, Iowa at home. The, other, the rest of the teams in the Big Ten West, Purdue, uh, Minnesota, the Indiana game. Um, so I think Stanford will be a big one that you can circle. Um, Michigan State will be a big one. But um, those back-to-back road trips of playing Wisco on the, Wisconsin on the road um, and Nebraska on the road in two of the notoriously toughest road environments in the conference is not going to be easy. And those – like, I think if Northwestern gets past those two, the whole rest of the season looks just a lot more – the whole rest of the season minus Ohio State um, looks a lot more manageable, I guess would be a word to say it. But um, those are definitely the two that I would uh, that I would circle. And I think to go – to kind of expand on this answer, I think if Northwestern either comes into Wisconsin 3-0, having won those three games would just – obviously a a long shot but um or a lot of things would need to happen for that to happen or nebraska with a better record and drops one of those drops either wisconsin or nebraska i think there might be a question mark on what the rest of the season can look like and it can turn in i guess two ways i would see it going in like thinking back to 2017 when northwestern dropped that road game to wisconsin then lost at penn state but then they turned it around to win the last seven or so of the season then won the music city bowl and then similar to 2015 when they lost to Iowa. Yeah, I'm going to say it was Iowa. Um, but they turned it around for the second half of the season and made it to the Outback Bowl. So that's one way I think that Wisconsin-Nebraska stretch can turn should things go poorly for Northwestern. But there's also the way that it can go. It can go the 2013 way when they, uh, um, after the Ohio State college game day game, when they, lost to Wisconsin on the road after that and fell into the huge tailspin. So that's a very long way of long-winded way of saying that, like, I think the West from Northwestern's perspective, at least will probably be decided from by that October 5th, Nebraska game or by the end of that game, which doesn't always happen that early. But I think those two weeks are the biggest ones that I would circle on my calendar. And that was a very long winded way of saying that. So I apologize. Well, what's what's interesting is you say, you know, Nebraska is a tough place to go play. Um, you know, save for one hail Mary Northwestern has not lost at Nebraska since, um, they joined the big 10. Knock, knocking wood. Knock, you know, knock, you know, knock, you know I, I, my entire life I've been hating Nebraska and talking crap about them. So <laughs> I'm not worried about it. Yeah. The, it's funny though. Um, kind of piggybacking off that a little bit I think your point is well taken about those two games back to back because the only thing that Nebraska and Wisconsin will have in common heading into this season is that they're both getting a heck of a lot of shine out of being Nebraska and Wisconsin Um, not only do those teams have tons of question marks they're not similar at all and to your point it's like in addition to the fact that we're going to learn about a lot about the team just because of the the importance of those games, those two teams are so unlike each other that beating both of them in back-to-back games would be a heck of a feat for the team just in terms of yeah. the, what we're going to need to do to win those two games. I mean, you're going to have one team with a crazy fast quarterback running around and no defense, and then another team that may or may not have any kind of quarterback play probably isn't planning on it. And then like a half decent defense. And I'm, you know, so I, I totally get it. I mean, it's the, that is a huge two game gauntlet and you're right. I mean, it kind of reminds me there was that couple year stretch very recently where we would get Wisconsin really early in the year and it would be like, well, I guess we're going to find out whether or not we're going to win the West right now. And then it would like be over and then it'd be like, oh, well, I guess we're looking up Wisconsin for the rest of the year. Um, but, uh, yeah. You make a good point with seeing Wisconsin that early. Um, that wasn't something that we saw last year. And just looking at the – I'm literally just staring at the schedule right now and seeing those, like, two of what will presumably should we be listening to all the Wisconsin and Nebraska hype um, and should those come anywhere near relatively true, those will probably be two of the biggest games in terms of deciding the Big Ten West for the whole division. So 
seeing those both come before mid-October is, I think, something that's going to end up determining a lot of Northwestern season. Well, if the Nebraska hype comes true, I mean, I it's going to be pretty amazing because we're going to beat them, and then they're somehow still going to make the college football playoff as a one-loss team. So I guess, you know, on the way to winning the national championship. So I can only – Good Lord. I I didn't think yeah. that there, again, this takes me back to like, this is, I, I want to believe this is all some giant Machiavellian plot by the Northwestern alumni sports media to just get our fan base as mad as possible before the start of the season. So given everything that we've talked about so far, if you had to pick something um, kind of given that we've kind of touched a little bit of everything on the program, if you had to pick something that you are most optimistic about relative to this program, offense or defense, and then something that you are most worried about, uh, where do you think you'd end up? Most optimistic, you can go first, and then and then most pessimistic or, or worried. Well, I won't say pessimistic because you have to interview these guys. We'll say worried. <laughs> I would – okay, so optimistic, I'm going to go a basic answer. Um, just looking at the defense this year – and what is coming back on the defensive end. Um, you're bringing back guys like Blake Gallagher and Patty Fisher. And um, I have faith that the defensive line will sort I have a little, some questions about the inside of the defensive line and who will be those interior guys, but I have enough faith in how um, the Miller brothers have both really um, built up in the off season. If that makes sense, they put on a lot of muscle from what I've heard. Um, so I have enough, faith in how uh how that defense is going to work out I think my biggest question mark would just be uh or um so defense I'm most optimistic about and then I'm trying to think what would be my my go-to question mark not trying to back you into a corner I I kind of feel like we're being like Who's going to be bad this year? Let's get you on the record, and then you can talk to that person in a couple of weeks. I mean, the obvious, like, the almost obvious question, Mark, is, or the almost obvious concern, I guess, is should Hunter Johnson not start? Like, that's an obvious question, Mark. But I think I would, like, put my, I'm not a betting person, but I'd, probably say my confidence is in that he will start so I'm not too worried about that I think I'm just more concerned about how what this offense looks what the other offensive pieces around Hunter Johnson look like is this offensive line going to be able to give him enough time to find room to throw is there going to be like should Bowser get hurt god forbid like is there someone who can come step behind him and like take over that job I guess my main concern would just be like can this team recover from injuries in the way that and like step up and recover from essential injuries in the way that we saw it did in 2018 and I I was impressed with the way that Northwestern was able to battle injuries um throughout the season I think if you if you rewatch the holiday bowl you see guys like Skoranek and Nagel go down and um you see the, the Northwestern secondary just battle injuries throughout the whole year. So I know I started kind of on an offensive ended answer, but I think my main concern would just be the, this team staying healthy. Cause I don't see as many, um, as many obvious, uh, as many obvious people who would fill those spots should um, some of these key guys that we're mentioning get injured as I did last year, I think would be my best answer. But I mean, isn't that always the case? I mean, every year, you know, we worry about the depth and, you know, in some cases it's the cornerbacks and you know, we're scraping the bottom of the barrel there. But it, it seems like because, you know, Northwestern always rotates so many people through, there's experience up and down the roster that, you know, maybe there is going to be a bit of a drop off, but, you know, everyone's got some playing time. Yeah, I think that's a that's a fair response. Um, I don't know. I'm just looking down. Yeah, I don't really know what my response to that would be. I just, I think they would all be great and fun should they respond in that way like they did last year. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. You I, go ahead. 
it's funny circling back to where you started things off and the questions of injuries and the questions of how the situation around we presume Hunter Johnson is going to work out. We've I have to admit, you know, I've been circling Trey Pugh, who I think was a big recruit and I think could be a great player, but of course. We have no idea what his health is, and it may not be great. We really don't know. And then between Trent Goins and Mangieri and all these question marks, I've I've been asking myself all these times, well, if not Trey Pugh, who? Without considering the various obvious possibility that we might just go super backless for way more doubts. Mm-hmm. Um and I think that's I mean it's a good point because I mean I mean we don't know and, and yes, you know, we certainly on this pod have been guilty about being optimist overly optimistic in the past relative to certain players, but it sure looks like the wide receiver core is stacked right now. Um not just with talent, but with a lot of depth. And if you combine a lot of question marks around Superback with all of these guys that you know, it's like I'm looking at a I'm looking at a two deep right now that is a really strong two deep for wide receiver, and Genson Hooper Price isn't even on it. And mm-hmm. you know, and you mentioned Bryce Kurtz is another guy. You know, Berkeley Holman, and it's like if you have all these guys fighting for playing time, and you have question marks at a related position group, we might be seeing a lot more spread. We might be seeing a lot more four wide and even five wide. Um, so I, you know, it's I'm sure they've. They've all this has all been figured out and we'll all be the last to know. But um but I am certainly excited about the possibility. Yeah, I agree. Well, we don't want to keep you up all night and we do definitely appreciate your time uh coming on with us. Um thank you. Uh, and you know, we're definitely looking forward to um reading your coverage. I guess you're you're heading um overseas, I guess, for uh for this for the fall. Yeah, so I'm covering football throughout the preseason. I'll still be here for the for the Stanford game. I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to physically make it out to California. Still trying to work that out. But um, I will be covering throughout the preseason. But I am studying abroad in the fall, so I will not be physically here for uh, football season. Thanks to the quarter system, it was either go during the fall or miss the entire winter and spring. So um, the quarter system playing its tricks again. But the important um, thing is you'll be back for Northwestern men's basketball. That's yeah. that's oh, really that's oh. really that's really the highlight of the year. Oh, man. Northwestern basketball will be leaving Europe, and I will be heading to it, and then we will both be back and shall see what it will happen or what that. We will sure will. More importantly, more importantly, have have you figured out your uh, your watch plan for uh, how you're going to tune into these games? That is a good question. I am luckily going with about 15 other Northwestern students, so I'm sure we will figure out a way. But um, it would be a lot harder if I was the only Northwestern student in a crowded full of other college football fans. So the time difference will probably be a little unfortunate. But um, from what I've heard, a lot of other people in the Daily who studied abroad last year were still able to to follow along pretty easily. So I guess stay tuned to my Twitter to see how that, uh, see how that all works out. Awesome. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. I lived, uh, I lived in New Zealand for a year and, and basically lost a whole season. I, there was no oh, way man. to, to engage. I think that was in the, the pre ESPN, um, the pre watch ESPN era. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad to hear that you'll be able to stay, stay dialed in. <laughs> Ella, I'm just, Ella, I'm just glad that as a Medill student, you're getting to study abroad. I always tell everyone that I studied abroad in Allentown, Pennsylvania, <laughs> my junior year, uh, interning at Men's Health because oh, it was wow. kind of like teaching yeah. teaching media and study abroad were not really uh-huh. uh, didn't really support each other. But um, yeah, I, no, I've been really, really lucky that it is one of the Medill they figured out a way to make it so that you can study abroad but not miss too much doing journalism stuff on campus so that I have been fortunate about um one I guess one final question that I'm curious about just because of something we saw shortly before uh we fired this up you interviewed Garrett Dickerson uh when did you interview Garrett Dickerson yes so I just finished up an internship at um 
a USA Today Network paper here in New Jersey, where I'm from. And I was out at Giants camp on Wednesday uh, of last week. So I snagged him for an interview there. We had a nice conversation just about his career for the Giants so far. Um, for those who didn't know, he was signed as an, undraft- an undrafted free agent last year and then um, kind of hopped around from the waiver wire to the practice squad to the active roster finally and then found his way. And now he's back with the Giants in training camp right now. And then so I talked to him that Wednesday and then two days later when the well, Giants so, played. Or, yeah, so, you go. so I was going to ask you, when you finished up that interview, were you like, now make sure you go over the middle into the end zone and get low? Honestly, and- no, not at all. I was like, I hope he stays. I hope Diggerson's still on the roster by the time my story for the daily goes up. That was like <laughs> my main priority. And then all of a sudden I got a push notification that Friday that was like New York trying to touch down Garrett Dickerson. And uh, that kind of all fell into place perfectly. But um, that was definitely not the expectation that I had once I finished that interview, but that's, <laughs> it's great for Garrett. Like, um, He's a really good interview to talk to, too, and I'm glad that things are going well for him up in New York. Uh, well, Ella, thank you so much for, for coming on with us tonight. Um, real quick, before uh, we, we let you go, uh, tell our listeners where they can find your stuff. Yeah, so I'm at the Daily Northwestern. Um, you can find us at dailynorthwestern.com, our sports section slash sports. Um, you can find me at Ella Brockway on Twitter, E-L-L-A-B-R-O-C-K. And, um, yeah, you can find me there tweeting a lot about Northwestern sports and Northwestern football uniforms. Um, and yeah, those are pretty much the best places to find me. All right. Well, thank you so much once again, and, uh, we'll have to catch up with you later on in the season or maybe over the winter when you get back from overseas. Sounds great. Thanks so much for having me on. I had a great time. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Once again, that's Ella Brockway of uh, the Daily Northwestern. Uh, thank you so much for uh, for coming on. Uh, we definitely appreciate it. And uh, we'll go ahead and leave it there for tonight. Head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Pirates, And you can always email the show, westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. And look for us in the West Lot of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Scasboy and Sam Walter, thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.